Um, in our text, we are coming to the end of a longer section that we've been uh, going at since chapter 1 and verse 10. And today we finally come to the end of the first section of the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to move on to a new topic next week in the chapters to come. But today, Paul makes his final appeal. The title of my message is, My Beloved Children. You know, last week in the text, we saw the Apostle Paul do something unexpected, perhaps. He used sarcasm as a tough approach to a tough situation. Uh, Sarcasm can be an effective tool at times to point out the ridiculousness of someone's actions. It's really difficult when you're trying to point out the pride and arrogance that's in someone's heart and remain humble yourself. But Paul did a masterful job last week, and he had some tough words for some tough-hearted people. But now at the end, the text turns. In this last section in chapter 4, which actually brings this entire section to a conclusion, Paul takes a different approach. It's not so tough. It's more tender. In fact, he speaks to them as if he were, and he was, their spiritual father. Look at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul's clarifying what he meant in last week's text with all of the irony and the sarcasm that he employed. This week he's saying, I'm not speaking sarcastically for the purpose of belittling you or making you feel small. Rather, I'm for you. I'm on your side. And the proof of this is I'm trying to admonish you. To admonish means to warn He's been warning them this entire time from chapter 1. Listen, Corinthians, your pride is killing you. You're hurting those around you. It's ruining the reputation of the church. And by the way, I'm telling you these things because I love you. And Paul views these people literally as his spiritual children. There's such a deep affection for them that comes out over and over in this letter. And we know this because of some of the words that Paul uses. Notice the word beloved there. from uh, It's the Greek word. It comes from the Greek word agape, which so many of you are familiar with. It's the kind of love that, that meets the best interest of another person. It meets them at their greatest need. And a person's greatest need, despite what the world may tell you, is not food or water or clothing or shelter. A person's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. Because one's eternal destiny rides on how you answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? In 3 John, verse 4, John wrote, I have no greater joy... Then to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Well, in 1 Corinthians, it's almost the exact opposite. Paul has been saying since the beginning of this letter, I have no greater anguish than to hear that my children are walking away from the truth. And no doubt, 
We've got some people in this room who have children that are struggling. Perhaps wayward children. Now you know exactly how Paul feels. No expense is too great. No distance is too far. You'll do anything to reach those kids that you love and bring them back. That's where Paul's at with these first century believers. He sees them literally as his children. Here's why we know that. The very next verse, verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So previously, in these last couple chapters, Paul's referred to himself as a farmer. He's referred to himself as a builder. He's referred to himself as a slave, a servant. He's referred to himself as um, a um, uh, steward. And now he changes the metaphor once again and he calls himself a father. Why? Well, what is Paul trying to accomplish in this opening section? He wants them to change the way that they think, to change the way that they're, they're living, to uproot the pride and the arrogance in their heart. He's saying to them, look, we have a special relationship, you and I. Unlike any other relationship in your life, I was the one that God used to bring to you the gospel. And you received that gospel. And because of that, I am your spiritual father. I want you to know I love you. I care for you. You have countless guides, he says. The word for guide was used to describe a a, a person who was hired to walk a child to and from school. And along the way, to and from school, this person would help the child with their homework. You might think of them as like a walking tutor type of a thing. And Paul says, you have countless guides. You have these people in your life. The word for countless is, is the Greek word we get the word myriad from, which is the largest word that they could use in their, in their language to describe a big number. Paul is literally saying, listen, you have thousands of instructors. You have thousands of tutors, but you only have one spiritual father. This is Paul's attempt here at the end of this section to say, if nothing else, will you listen to my voice? Will you respond to what I have to say simply because You're my kids. You're my kids. And I love you. Notice Paul says that they are in Christ. And the gospel is what places them there. I love Paul's humility. That this is not about me. I'm just the messenger. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning. Do you remember the person who shared Christ with you? Take a minute and think about that. chances are that that person's voice still carries a little more weight than some other people to you if they're still around. So this is what Paul is hoping is going to work with the Corinthians. He's, you've had various spiritual teachers. I mean, he's gone over that numerous times, right? Hey, Apollos, 
Cephas, right? They've been, we've been rehearsing this for these four chapters. You've had spiritual tutors, but you only have one spiritual father. So in the rest of this passage, it seems to me Paul is taking the time to explain what it means to be a spiritual dad or a spiritual mom. And can I just tell you, this is what the church needs. We need spiritual parents. We need spiritual moms and dads. We need to be the kind of person who reaches out to our spiritual children. So as we work through the text this morning in our remaining time, I want you to just think about two simple application questions. First, do I have a spiritual mom or dad in my life? Who is it? Do I have someone I can turn to? Someone who is there for me? Someone who will always give me good counsel? Who's not afraid to say the difficult thing to me? Someone who understands the Scriptures and can speak them into my life? Do I have that person? Second question, am I that person or am I becoming a spiritual parent to someone else? Who is that? So let's look this morning at the text. I want us to notice, as we run through these verses, I want you to see four characteristics of spiritual parents. And I love the fact that we're in this text on Father's Day. Didn't even plan it that way. It's just the way the Lord works sometimes. So here's the first characteristic. Spiritual parents give warning. Verse 14. We've read this verse already. You know, if you read the the book of Proverbs, it's essentially one big admonishment. Solomon is writing to his son, and and he's basically, here's the message of Proverbs in a nutshell. Son, I want to warn you. Don't go to the prostitute's house. You may feel like you want to do that, but if you go... It's going to be very bad for you. Son, pay very close attention to the people that you hang out with. Be careful about the influences that you allow into your life because they will shape you. That's basically the message of Proverbs. It's a whole book on admonishment. Spiritual parents care enough to give warnings. And in order to do that effectively, it requires two things. One... You need to know what the Scriptures say. And two, you need to have courage to say them. You know, a spiritual parent doesn't want to see me get hurt. They care about my testimony. They care about my reputation as a Christian. And let me make it clear that admonishing does not mean that you crush someone's spirit. Some of us as adults... We're still picking up the shattered pieces of our lives because some of us have had abusive, harsh, overbearing parents. That's not what a spiritual parent does. A spiritual parent is patient, long-suffering. They understand there will be mistakes. There will be failures. But they're still passionate about helping you Become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. So every once in a while, after a sermon, someone will come up to me and say, 
you were really passionate this morning. <laughs> well, I want to be passionate all the time when I preach. You want to know why? Because I'm with you. I care about you. I care about what you do. I care about how you live. So it's easy for me to be passionate because I care deeply about the people in this room. About our testimony for Christ together. And for Paul, this caring comes from a very specific place. Notice secondly, spiritual parents also share the gospel. Spiritual parents share the gospel. Verse 15. Paul said, you heard it from me first. To truly meet someone's need, as I mentioned earlier, is to give them what they need the most. And that is the gospel, the plan of salvation. Spiritual parents are constantly sharing the gospel. I am very thankful that I was raised in, with earthly parents who also understood what it, meant to, what it means to be spiritual parents. I know that not all of you had that experience. I'm thankful for that. They shared the gospel with me. They took me consistently all through my life to a gospel-preaching church. And they modeled this desire to share the gospel with others so powerfully when they packed up our home and moved me when I was 12 years old away from my school, away from my friends, away from my relatives, across the ocean to the country of Scotland where they would spend 20 years becoming spiritual parents to other people people who had never heard the gospel. It's been said that the church ought to be a maternity ward where we are constantly hearing the sound of newborn babes in Christ. That's what we want at Heather Hills, isn't it? You ever visit those hospitals and you're walking near the maternity section and you hear the little tune come on? I forget which one it is. Da 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 or one of those tunes. And you know, a new baby's been born. We should play that a lot in Heather Hills. It's one of the healthy signs of a church. The preaching of the gospel, people responding to the gospel. So let me ask you, how are you doing on this mark of spiritual parenting? Are you sharing the gospel with those around you? I promise you, you have people in your life that desperately need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. They need it to hear it from you. You know what? In Paul's day, they couldn't go around handing out tracts or handing out New Testaments or handing out Bibles to people. How did people know about Jesus? How do they come to understand the wisdom of God? They saw it lived out in God's people who were spiritual parents who were constantly communicating the gospel. And that leads us to the third characteristic. Spiritual parents are examples. Verses 16 through 20. Look at verse 16 again. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
You know, so when you're mentoring someone, you guys in the business world understand this, and ladies, you, you set the pattern. You. You set the pattern. Whatever you want your person to be or to become or to learn, you have already mastered that, hopefully. You can't impart something to your mentor, re that you don't know or, or be something that you are not. I'm quite convinced that for most of these Corinthian believers, when they hear Paul say, imitate me, they're horrified. I mean, just think back through this letter. Remember what Paul has said about himself. When people think about me, they say I'm the scum of the world. Imitate me. My clothes are essentially rags. Imitate me. I don't have a home. Be like me. I'm constantly hungry, constantly thirsty. Be like me. These Corinthian believers, boy, they're in a completely different place. They're trying to elevate themselves. They're trying to lift themselves up. They're trying to find a superior place within the congregation. So when they hear Paul say, imitate me, I would think they're stunned. They're shocked. And Paul's saying, imitate me, not because of all these hardships that I go through, but despite them. Because very often it's in those difficulties, isn't it, that the power and the glory of God is seen more fully and more brightly and more clearly. Haven't you experienced that in your life? Now, they didn't have the printing press back then. Paul got it. He understood it. He understood that the only Bible, the only Jesus that these people might ever see would be through Paul. And that raises kind of an interesting question that we should think about too. Is that the case for us? The only Jesus some of the people around us will ever see is what they see in us. If they know that you're a Christian to start with. The only source of biblical wisdom that they'll ever encounter perhaps is from your lips. So what are we communicating? What are we impressing on those around us? What do do we communicate when we're all stressed out and we're running around anxious about everything? Did you hear the latest news? Yeah. And God still sits on the throne. Yeah, but gas prices. Have you seen the gas prices? Yes. And God still sits on the throne. I'm not saying those things don't have their place or aren't important. But God sits on a throne and people are watching you. And they're watching me. Your response and my response to the things of this world send a very powerful message about who our Jesus is and what our gospel does to transform our lives. Paul understood this very well. The word Paul uses for imitators, the Greek word is the word that we get our English word mimeograph from. You ever asked your kids to imitate you? You should try it sometime. Have a lot of fun. How secure are you feeling? 
See what, see, what, see what they do, especially when they're little. It's amazing what they can pick up, the little things from our personalities and our actions. Everybody watches us. People are watching you. They want to see how a Christian deals with the economy. They want to see how a Christian deals with disease and sickness. They want to see how a Christian deals with racial tension. They want to see it. They're watching us. Well, since Paul couldn't be there in person, he sends Timothy. This is great, right? Because this is Paul's way of saying, basically, I practice what I preach. Timothy's my guy. He's my spiritual child. I'm his father. This is the absolute pinnacle of spiritual fatherhood when, when you're able to say, I can't do that, but let me send this person because it'll be just like having me there. Notice what he says about Timothy. He will remind you of my ways in Christ. Remind you of my ways in Christ. You know, effective ministry is not being a mile wide. We've talked about this many times. Effective ministry comes from concentrating on the depth. We've talked about this. It's a a familiar statement among evangelicals today. If we concentrate on the depth of Christ's church, God takes care of the breadth of Christ's church. Howard Hendricks, the the late uh, Bible teacher down at Dallas, was once asked, how can any church identify its own spiritual depth? He said, oh, that's easy. Just ask the people this question. Where are your spiritual children? Where's your spiritual son? Where's your spiritual daughter? Where are your Timothys? Now, this is how messed up the church at Corinth was. Some people, because Paul is sending Timothy... You know, they're, they're jumping to conclusions, maybe thinking that Paul's afraid to come to them in person, you know, and it's fueling their pride and their arrogance. Paul lays it down there in verse 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Here's the deal. Talk is cheap. What Paul is looking for when he shows up to church is the power of God on display. What does that look like? Well, it certainly doesn't look like a bunch of Christians running around trying to elevate themselves and causing divisiveness and and having schisms and cliques like they were at Corinth. The power of God is evidenced in transformed lives, changed lives, the very thing these Corinthians were missing. Elevating yourself, taking pride in all your accomplishments, boasting, elevating one preacher above another, Drawing lines in the sand, tests of fellowship, quarreling, being divisive. That's not the power of God. 
And no matter what they said with their mouths, their talk is cheap. The power of God is when the gospel is proclaimed, the mind is illuminated by the Holy Spirit, and lives are transformed. Paul says, that's what I'm looking for when I come visit Corinth. He then concludes his thoughts with the last characteristic here of a spiritual parent. It might be the hardest. And that's spiritual parents bring loving correction. Verse 21. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Which Paul do you want? Do you want the one who shows up with a rod? Referring here to a shepherd's staff the part that has the big crook on the end of it. The sheep are getting out of line, right? Going their own way, putting themselves in spiritual danger. So the shepherd walks over with the staff and he can hook it around their neck and yank on it. Is that the Paul you want? You ever try to get a sheep to move where you want it to? Not as easy as you may think. Kind of like stubborn mules. But the shepherd just gently brings that sheep back into the fold, coaxes the sheep, carries the sheep if necessary. But spiritual parents care enough to bring loving correction. See, here's what I've learned, and I try to practice this in my own life as a parent, imperfectly, of course. But here's, here's something I think we all can learn from this, especially if you're parents. Good parents will do the hard things for the sake of correcting their kids. Really good parents, in fact, the best parents, are actually willing to say things like, it's okay if you don't like me right now. But what I'm about to do is absolutely in your best interest. I can live with the fact that you think I'm wrong. Maybe you think I don't love you that I don't care for you. I can live with that fact. It's okay if you don't like me right now. I'm bringing you what you need. And this is Paul's perspective. Good parents bring exactly what is needed when it is needed. A spiritual father, a spiritual mother, they bear their heart, they open their heart, and they speak truth in love. And it's only our pride that keeps us from listening. Do you see what Paul's trying to do here? He's trying to expose what's keeping them back from stepping out into that space where God wants them to be, from becoming spiritual moms and spiritual dads, from from reaching out and, and finding those other spiritual moms and spiritual dads that can embrace them and help them The Christian who is not spiritually fathering or mothering somebody is, in my strong opinion, a contradiction. This is what we do. We make disciples. It's our job. It's why we were saved. So my prayer for us, my prayer for you, is that we would become in the fullest sense spiritual parents wouldn't that be amazing so why aren't you busy reproducing 
What's stopping you? What's stopping you from giving birth to spiritual children? What's stopping you from maturing in Christ? Probably the same thing that was stopping the Corinthians. Pride, boasting, arrogance, thinking of ourselves more than we should. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back for our final song. And as they're coming, think for me, think with me for a moment here about some implications from the text today. Let me give you seven of them. First thing to think about, we must be active in sharing the gospel. We must be active in sharing the gospel. There are no excuses. There are no excuses. I don't know how. I don't know what to say. Then come and we'll train you. I'm scared. Take someone with you who has experience, who can help you to gain courage. I don't know if people will still like me. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to harm the relationships that I have. Love Jesus more than you love other people. We must be active in sharing the gospel. There are no excuses. We got a whole bunch of tracks back there on the track rack. Take one with you when you go out to eat today. Give it to your server. Tell them they can find out a way to heaven through God's word. We must be willing to warn those that we love, secondly, about spiritual danger. We must be willing to warn those we love about spiritual danger. How many times, think back through your life, how many times has something tragic happened to a Christian friend and we saw it coming and we didn't say anything? Say something. Love your brothers and sisters enough to warn people about spiritual danger. Third, examine our lives to see what kind of example we are putting on display for Jesus. People are watching us. In your own home is where it starts, right? We know our children are watching us. Husbands, our wives are watching us. Wives, your husbands are watching you. And then beyond our families, what kind of example are we putting out of the change Jesus has done in us? Four, when, when, when we do speak to correct a brother or sister, we must do it in love and gentleness. When we do speak to correct a brother or sister, we must do it in love and gentleness. Because when we don't do it in love and gentleness, you know how we do it? In pride and arrogance. And that's not correction at all. Five, we should fight every day to kill the pride in our heart. We should fight every day to kill the pride in our heart that keeps us from having unity and, and sparks divisiveness and quarreling in the church. We need to ask the Lord to keep us humble. Ask the Lord to keep us humble. Six, we need to think seriously about those whom we are spiritually parenting and 
who is parenting us. And we need to get in those kinds of relationships. You need to think right now. Right in your seat, right now, think, who is my spiritual parent? And don't, don't, call, don't count on me, okay? I'm talking, about, I'm talking about someone closer, someone regular, someone one-on-one. Who is that person in your life? And if you don't have that person, find that person. And if you have trouble finding that person, then come talk to us and we'll help you find someone. And who are you being a spiritual mother or father to? Think right now in your life. The Christian life is not lived in isolation. Now I'll tell you, you know what? Just by gathering together on the Lord's Day, you're doing it. You're doing it to all the people around you who are hearing you sing, they're watching you pray, they're seeing how you respond to God's word, and you're doing that. But that's in a general sense. Who are you doing it with specifically? Who, and again, that starts in your home, it starts with your children, but outside of your family, who are you spiritually mentoring? And if there's no one like that, find someone. I don't know where I would start. Just read the Bible with them. Just take a chapter and read it and talk about what it means and pray together and share your experiences as a Christian with them. It doesn't have to be some deep, theologically planned, outlined thing. Just live life with them. Share your Christian experience with them. It's easier than you think. We need to remember, finally, This way of living is only possible because of being in Christ. This way of living is only possible because of being in Christ and because someone reached us with the gospel. I I can't think of anything more horrible than to stand before Jesus and maybe it would be it would be kind of I don't know if Jesus do do this or not, but it'd be kind of cool if we get to heaven and you see you see the lineage of how the gospel got to you. I don't know, maybe, maybe through the, the 12 disciples, you know, it started. And they led people to the Lord, and they led people to the Lord, and they led people to the Lord. And 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years later, someone gave it to you. Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a mom or a dad or a Christian friend or wherever you heard the gospel. Maybe it was a tract somebody gave you. Wouldn't it be horrible to stand before Christ and see how the gospel got all the way to you and didn't go any further? What shame. What shame. Someone reached us with the gospel. Now it's your turn. Pass it on. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about us. That'll keep you humble. It's all about his cross. Paul's been saying that from the beginning. It's about Jesus crucified. That's where we need to be.